Part of the Rewatching Good Television Podcast Network. It's the Sorkin Cast. Here's your host, Matthew Murdick. And welcome to the Sorkin Cast. It's episode 44 of the podcast where this week we are covering West Wing season 2 episode 17, The Stackhouse Filibuster, one of my favorite episodes. And I am Matt Murdick. I am from sorkincast.wordpress.com. That's where you can find all of the back episodes of the podcast. You can find contact links like sorkincast at gmail.com or at sorkincast on Twitter or 314-669-1840 to leave feedback. And remember, if you leave feedback to me regarding any episode of Season 2 by Tuesday, July 12th, 2016, it will be included in our feedback podcast, which will follow that next Sunday. Also, you might want to include your favorite and least favorite episode of season two or your favorite or least favorite scene of season two or your favorite or least favorite main character of season two or your favorite and least favorite guest star of season two. Uh, We will have our season two West Wing awards as part of that feedback podcast as well. Also at sorkincast.wordpress.com, you can always find arc links for the podcatchers where you can click and get to the iTunes page or you can get to the Stitcher page and if you would take the time to leave me a written review with whatever you think about the podcast uh, I would be happy to share those in the feedback podcast as well if you do so by July 12th and it also helps me know what I can do to improve the show to make it more suitable to your tastes and it keeps me noticeable among the you know 20 million West Wing podcasts that seem to have sprung up in the last six months uh, thanks to Joshua Molina doing his <laughs> it seems like everybody's doing West Wing now um, but I don't just do West Wing we're going to do the Sorkin uh, show stuff just uh, like newsroom like sports night and folks we had our poll recently you have voted for us to cover season one of the newsroom and i'm very pleased to say that a gentleman who is also a fan of the newsroom just like myself will be joining me for some of those podcasts just as he joins me for this podcast just like he joined me for last week's podcast we welcome back john how are you brother good good to be back it's it's weird being in the future in the past. <laughs> we do pre-record these episodes and we're ready to talk about this episode with you and again it is season two episode 17 the stackhouse filibuster a story by paul mccabe a teleplay by aaron sorkin it was directed by brian gordon it first aired on march 14th 2001 and was viewed by an estimated 17.2 million viewers geos.tv that's the global episode opinion survey ranks this episode 10th out of 158 episodes. Uh, it certainly is one of my favorite episodes, John. How about you? Does this one rank among your higher-ranked episodes? Whatever you do, don't mess with the grandchildren. <laughs> Absolutely. Don't mess with the grandchildren, and don't mess with my Stackhouse filibuster episode ever. Do not pull a George Lucas on this episode, because to me it's one of the more perfect ones. Uh, here is your episode summary. C.J. Sam and Josh all communicate with one of their parents via email about the first filibuster the White House has experienced. Meanwhile, Toby is intrigued by Vice President John Hoynes' political shift on oil, and the president tells Leo about his promise to Abby. Dun, dun, dun. We also have every week a walk and talk. Uh, right at the top of the episode. It seems like every episode, there's at least one or two of them in, in the show. So we try and pick one of our favorites. I get to do the choosing because I have to pre-record the clips. Uh, but uh, this time around, there were so many. Uh, it was kind of dizzying. But I think my favorite, uh, and, and one of the longer ones, was CJ talking with Donna about the cat goddess statue. And here's that. To the cat story, Dad, I'd done my research, and sure enough, I was quite screwed. I was in trouble, and I needed to tell someone, a cohort, someone whose criminal mind was equal to my own. Donna, I need to talk to you right now. I have to get these to people. So, we went to Cairo last year. Not me. Right? I had strap. I didn't, which is sad for me. Are you in trouble? I may be in a spot of trouble, yes. What happened? Hassan Ali gave the president a gift, a small ceramic statue of Bast. Bast? Bast, a cat goddess. She was the Donna, pa- did Josh leave? He went to lunch. She was the patron saint of Ubastus and rose to prominence during the period of the 22nd dynasty. How do you know all this? I looked it up. The cats in the temple. What temple? 
the temple of Bubastis, maybe? I don't know. The cats in the temple wore jeweled collars. They were treated royally. They thought cats controlled the movement of the moon. They had total authority over royal houses because of their ability to see in the dark. Anyone who killed a cat was put to death. I'm sorry, CJ, I'm not... I broke the damn statue. Not badly, but, you know, in several pieces. And since it came out of his own collection, breaking the figurine would amount to a personal affront implying he had bad taste and that the object was of little personal value to the president. Donna, they're asking for you back at your desk. How did you break it? The gift officer handed it to me. I tossed it in my suitcase. You tossed it in your suitcase? Do you have any idea how many pieces of crap get stuck in the president's hands every time he leaves the building? Didn't the gift officer know it was a priceless relic? Well, apparently not, because she handed it to me with a couple of T-shirts and a box of baklava. Donna. Yeah. Why are you telling me this? I thought maybe you'd have an idea. Well, there's nothing really I can think of right now except to agree that you're monumentally screwed. I mean, I hate to leave it at that. But you're gonna. Yeah. <laughs> All the details she goes into about this thing, about the darn cat goddess. I love that. That's hilarious. It, I, you're screwed. <laughs> Definitely screwed. <laughs> Definitely screwed. And as if that wasn't funny enough, folks, we always have also uh, what I call the quick jabs. They're either personal or political or professional uh, little humorous quotes. And here are this week's choices from me regarding that. Women seeking abortion should not be required by law to be lectured at. Yeah, but you're going to help me out there, right? Yes, I will. I will once again betray the sisterhood. I don't need to tell you that in these negotiations... In these negotiations about a bill aimed at health issues affecting children. We've allocated funds for Alzheimer's, glaucoma, and erectile dysfunction. Sir. You know a lot of two-year-olds afflicted with that horrific condition, do you? Your book tomorrow morning, 8.55, United, direct to West Palm Beach. Which gets in at... 12.58. It's still a 70-mile drive to Port St. Lucie. I'll miss the game. I thought they weren't playing yet. It's an exhibition game. You're flying to Florida to see the Mets play another team in a game that doesn't count? Actually, it's an intra-squad game. So you're flying to Florida to see the Mets play each other in a game that doesn't count? Yeah. Okay. Did you hear that? He said, very good, sir. Where did they learn that? Yeah. I'm sorry. Nothing. I'm sure that was moved for a reason. We're prepping for a G8 with Barney, and we're going to Tel Aviv. I just feel like we don't talk anymore. Tel Aviv's the week after. What? See, you're not even listening. Ben, let me call you back. What's your problem? I'm just saying we work all day and then the day's over and we go out to dinner and you're still working. And, you know, I'm sitting here. No time to talk. You know, conversations like this are the reason I got divorced. <laughs> oh, Bartlett can just toy with people, can he? He's the best, that is for sure. Uh, anything about either of those before we move on I don't know I don't think CJ should betray the sisterhood yeah I don't think CJ should betray the sisterhood either Um, yet she does routinely Um, (laughs) I can think of uh, several times that she has Uh, but uh, I guess she's got to do what she's got to do poor girl (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I also want to say before we start into these clips that uh, it was really hard for me to figure out how to cut this episode up, folks, uh, g- given that there's there's long bits of email narration versus the, the scenes themselves. And I did my best to try and and cut up what I thought the best bits were. But if if anybody and yourself included, John, if you don't like what I did, then feel free to, to call me out on it. Um, but I, I did try to make it to where you got some semblance of the story uh, without too much fluff, even though some of the fluff was really, really good. Now, Matt, you beat yourself up too much and just be more like Bartlett and just charge forward and be determined with your decisions. You'll be fine. All right. Well, we don't have a choice now. The the episode has been cut, so (laughs) we shall suffer uh, along with the rest of you all if you don't like it, uh, or we shall enjoy it along with the rest of you all if you do. Uh, And in the first clip, in an email to her dad, CJ describes the night of the filibuster, the law that's being delayed to vote on, an Egyptian curse and Toby giving the vice president Hoynes a heads up about a response to some of his oil business buddies. Dear dad, first of all, happy birthday. Second of all, let me explain why I'm not on my way there right now. You're not going to believe this, but it's because of a filibuster. 
a filibuster that no one ever saw coming. Not the Senate leadership, not the party leadership, and not me. And if you're angry at me, well, you've got a lot of company. I'm going to explain all this. Right now, it's Friday night, and everyone's trying to get out the door. Only I won't let them. And on absorbent paper. Yield approximately four to six servings. Have any idea how many recipes there are? I really don't. So the press is in the briefing room, the staff's in the West Wing, and I'm right here. I'm betting when you read this, you're going to be glad I stayed. I'm betting you're going to end up rooting for a Minnesota senator named Howard Stackhouse. It started with a bill you'll read about tomorrow morning called the Family Wellness Act. Josh had been leading staffers from the Legislative Liaison Office in negotiations with the conference chairman for weeks, and this last Monday morning, he walked into the Roosevelt Room and said... We got the Family Wellness Act. It's done? Yes, sir. What did we get? What did we lose? We got most of what we wanted in Title VII. That's infant hearing loss? Yeah, we got a hearing test for every child born in the U.S. What about? We did not get mandatory hearing tests for children not born in hospitals. We can live with that. Josh Lyman, everybody. You just spent $6 billion on health care. How do you feel? I'd feel better if it meant just once I could go to a doctor without filling out something on a clipboard. All right. What else? Philip Sluman, who's the chairman of the Petroleum Producers of America, testified yesterday to the FTC that <clears throat> the Bartlett administration's blah, blah, relentless pursuit of stricter emissions standards in the form of additives like MTBE is a big reason we've seen price hikes in some parts of the country. The energy secretary's got to respond. The energy secretary's going to respond, and I'd like to mention that to the vice president. You want me to do it? I got it. He's going to be pretty unhappy. Yep. That must be a good time to mention that it's possible that an Egyptian cat goddess named Bast has put an ancient curse on me. CJ. Charlie. Listen. May I call you Chip? No. Chipper? No. Gilligan? Listen. Yes? Hassan Ali is coming here at the end of the week. He's got 38 wives. Yeah. Imagine being the girl he dated who he didn't marry. CJ. Hassan Ali is coming? Yeah. And on the president's trip to Cairo, Ali gave him a gift. A ceramic statue. Okay. The State Department told the Office of Protocol it's important that the gift be displayed when Ali visits. They say you have it. Would you say a small ceramic statue? Yeah, of a cat. Okay. Okay. CJ. Yes. You know anything about it? Well, I have to think about it, Charlie. It was a year ago, and it's not like I have instant recall of every ceramic cat statue I've ever been handed in Cairo. Yeah, should I tell Protocol that... Tell Protocol I'm searching my recollection. Protocol's recollection seem pretty good. Leave me now. Sure. What do you need? Philip Sluman, testifying yesterday in front of the FTC, charged that it was the White House's pursuit of tighter emission standards that's caused the rise in prices. That's a good point. Anyway, sir, tomorrow night, Bill Trotter's going to be delivering a speech, and we're going to rewrite the draft to include a fairly strong rebuttal to Philip Sluman's remarks. <clears throat> Shouldn't have Bill Trotter do it. Why? Because his rants against the oil companies have become familiar, the press has stopped writing about him. Who would you send? To punch back? Yeah. Me. Really? Mr. Vice President... Toby, if you think I'll be too soft on him, stand in the back of the room. If you don't like what I say, call Bill Trotter and say you're on for tomorrow night. Would you mind if I prepared some notes for you? <laughs> well, not at all. Would you mind if I shoved him up your ass? What do you got for me, John? I don't know. I kind of like uh, Vice President Hoynes there at the end. <laughs> 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 oh man! No, I, 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 don't know. I, I like Toby in moment. I, I know you love Toby, and I. Everyone probably knows now that I'm not always the biggest Toby fan. I just love it when he gets put in his place. Sometimes it's just so fun for me. I don't know why. And then you have uh, Charlie putting CJ in her spot. That was pretty good. Yes, yes, that was fun. It, and and uh, that pays off, of course, in, in the whole walk and talk with Donna where it gets a little more fully explained. But the uh, the thing that got for me about the, the Hoynes and Toby thing was, again, this reiteration, which we've had several times throughout the course of the first season and even in this season, of the tension between the vice presidency and the presidency in which I, I don't imagine is something that uh, is not unheard of, you know, uh, because typically two running, two running mates that end up one being vice president, and one vice president, were probably running against each other in the primary. That's what happens a lot. So you have a lot of this tension between Hoynes and, and Bartlett. And it's kind of fun now because 
when you see Hoynes making this overture to Toby about, I'll do this, you know, what we know is because of Abby's promise that we can think maybe Hoynes possibly knew that Bartlett was only going to plan to run for one term. And so he's now starting to politically position himself where he can run because he thinks that Bartlett is going to bow out. Yeah, no, it definitely sets a different dynamic to what what is to come. And yeah, it's the posturing there, and especially because Toby probably doesn't quite know about the one term yet. Right. <laughs> and so he's probably taken aback a little bit especially when he probably thinks he's just trying to help the vice president out. Yeah, that's what's so great about this is because a lot of things culminate in this episode. Like, uh, I mean, Leo doesn't even know that Bartlett's thinking about Bartlett's promise to Abby at this point yet. I mean, he tells him later on in this episode, and Leo is the first to even learn about it. And uh, they kind of have to put it off, I guess, because of, of other situations, because of the filibuster um, they have to put off talking about the conversation any further, but it's just great to see. Uh, I've had to spend spoiler sections before talking about why Hoynes has done certain things. Like you look back at the, uh, the his talks with people about the FEC appointments in the end of last season that Josh had to, you know, kind of tramp down on his head about. Um, you look at the way he had that meeting with the uh, senator from Texas about a certain vote back in season one and all of that you look and you say oh man he's been positioning himself this whole time it's like it's almost it's kind of own little game of thrones right there <laughs> don't tease me matt <laughs> i'll derail this podcast faster than you can think <laughs> folks if you don't know john is a great fan of game of thrones a television show and and a fan of the books and we uh we have talked many a night about uh, that stuff on a, on a little podcast called Podcast Winterfell. So if, you, if you're into the books, uh, feel free to join over there. And even if you're into the television show, up through about midway through season five, uh, we had John on a lot to talk about everything going on there. And John is continuing to watch the show. I'm not at the moment. But uh, at any rate, let's get back into this uh, <laughs> and talk uh, uh, something that hopefully will derail this Game of Thrones conversation and go into CJ. Because... John, you can probably appreciate this, the level of BS that CJ is able not only to take from everybody, but to also dish out to everybody. Like, I cut a lot of this out of the clip, but her whole giving Josh trouble about the the, the inter-squad game, um, her giving Sam trouble, um, you know, about the recipes, you know, and then finally admitting to Toby, the one person that she's probably closest to, at least to me, uh, in the White House. She, I, I feel like she's closest to, to, to Toby in terms of a, a, of a colleagueship. Um, she admits to him that she just really doesn't know anything about the, how many recipes there are in a book. Uh, and I, I even wonder if that, if she isn't even just putting him on a little bit, like the whole, oh, there's at least 30 to Sam and there's whatever to whoever. And then she's like, well, I just really don't know, Toby. So the, Toby will be thinking, oh, it could be, you know, 200. It could be 270. I don't know. Yeah, how how is she supposed to know what recipe book he's reading from? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's great but yeah I, I would imagine that if you're a press secretary you do have to be a pretty good bser right so that, that oh, works well on your toes and a very sharp tongue at all times i'm sure her and toby have probably had some interesting conversations off camera in this uh, mythical universe that is the west wing yeah dude well I, and like you said though when when it comes down on her it always seems like it comes down on her really hard and this this cat statue thing oh uh, yeah. that was so funny what do you got on that uh no i mean not that any of us have ever been a, a white house press secretary but to be put in charge of something so trivial as a porcelain cat <laughs> and then to come out find out it means so much more <laughs> It's. I mean, you couldn't have had worse luck. I mean, that I I feel so bad for CJ in this episode just because of that. I mean, it's like in her point earlier in the clips that we've rattled off where she talks about all the stupid junk that the president gets shoved in his hands. I mean, it's something that we probably never see, but I can only imagine because everybody wants to get so close to the president just because of who he is. I can't even imagine all the garbage that he collects. 
Yeah, and, and how and, and it's great that Sorkin brings up how that stuff has to be kept track of. You know, there's, there's <laughs> unfortunately because there's laws against you know taking bribes and everything. All of that stuff has to be documented and taken down and everything. And it's down to this piece of paper that Charlie has seen somewhere that says, "Well, CJ was the last person to have this." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean the the yeah. Out of all the things in her world that become down to a, a little statue is going to ruin her day, if not put a curse on her. Yeah. <laughs> And Allison Janney just knocks this whole episode out of the park. I mean, everything from all of this comedic stuff to uh, just the the narration of the email to her father. I I just, you know, it's really easy to see why Allison Janney and and Richard Schiff were both uh, Emmy winners for this season uh, 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 in regards to acting. They they both did did a fabulous job, I thought, all season long. Oh, yeah. I, I, I have to say, as in Janie, I don't think I've seen her in too many things I didn't like her in. So, I mean, it's she's always fun to watch. Yes. An incredible actress. Uh, anything else on this clip? I don't think so. I'm curious to see what comes up next. All right. Well, in the next clip, uh, CJ hazes Sam about his debate with a GAO intern, which inspires Sam to write an email to his father talking about the filibuster and his encounter with Winifred Hooper. Josh writes his own email to his mother recounting having to meet with Stackhouse before Stackhouse decided to filibuster. Hey. Hey. Hey, Sam, who's your favorite writer? Toby. You know, I never got a chance to say, I mean, I feel bad about your dad and everything. Yeah. We're doing better. You know, the ice is starting to thaw. I'm in the middle of an email to my father. Do you talk to him a lot? Not enough. Did I hear you got spanked by some 14-year-old kid interning at the GAO? I did not get spanked, and she was 19 years old, and I demonstrated once again that I am open to all forms of debate. With an intern. If need be. Okay. I got a team together, and I went about the task of recommending 400 government reports for elimination. Report on the use of Pell Grants for the incarcerated. What's that? Education scholarships for prisoners. Wasn't that program terminated? Yeah. But we write the reports anyway? Yeah. Lose it. Report on the study of Route 66. Which tells us? Condition and traffic flow of America's oldest transcontinental highway. Anything in there I don't get from the song? Nope. Lose it. Excuse me? I didn't say anything. You made a little sound there. Sorry, I'll be out of your way in just a moment. Who are you? I'm an intern at the GAO. You're an intern? Yes. What are you, 14 years old? I'm 19 years old. And what's your problem with my cutting reports? Nothing, other than being utterly bogus. What's your name? Winifred Hooper. Should I call you Winnie? Not unless you want me to spit at you. And I don't. Okay. Winifred, the accounting office tells me I can save the taxpayers $3 million by cutting 400 reports. Now, every American family can realize their dream of a college education for their children with a penny and a half you just saved them. Okay, you know what? You blow through these things like they don't mean anything. They don't mean anything. You're an idiot. Hey, hey, I'm talking to senior staff. Gee, genuflect when you say that, fella. How do you know all that? I've read the report. You've read the report? Yes. Why? I'm allowed. Anybody's allowed. No, I I mean, why? Well, they're all sitting in the office I work in. So it just happens you read the report I pulled off the top? I've read them all. You've read them all? I I like to read. They let me come early and stay after. I have to go back to my room. Winnie. Yeah, I said it. Listen, you're talented. When you get out of school, you should come see me for a job. I, I suppose you're not a complete loser. And you write very well. So, when I get out of school, you should come see me for a job. Once an amendment added to the Family Wellness Act that will allocate money for autism care and research. And we don't want to? This is what's called a Christmas tree bill. Everyone hangs amendments on it. We just closed it this morning. We try and hang a star on top. The tree topples over and it doesn't pass. Yeah, Stackhouse isn't really someone who has a lot of muscle on this. You got this phone message. From his office? From him. You're going to meet with me or there's not going to be a vote while I'm alive. Stackhouse. Now, the reason we weren't sweating Stackhouse is that Stackhouse isn't someone you sweat. He's been around forever, but he has little influence, little power, and few friends. It's for a federal program educate doctors in order to reduce the staggeringly high percentage of cases in which autism is misdiagnosed. We can't do it. Of course you can. You simply pick up the phone, you call the conference. The bill started out at $2 billion. It's $6 billion now. That's right. 
So another 47 million hurts you how? Sir. That's eight-tenths of one percent of a bill aimed at health issues affecting children, which is roughly the same as the percentage of children affected by autism. Senator, there's going to be a vote. The bill's closed. Open it back up again. To do that would mean to postpone the vote and everyone's breaking for the recess and... And you want the story before everyone goes home. Okay. Sir, the next time around, and there will be a next time around. That's all. I'm done with you now. And that was that. Man, I just love how patient Stackhouse is with Josh and how reasonable and how calm he is and everything. And then when Josh says no, he's just like, okay, that's it. You're done. <laughs> it's, it's just like, it's like, okay, a decision has been made and now I have made mine. You're done, buddy. I just love that. I, I Stackhouse is one of my favorite senators that you'll probably never, ever see again. Uh, but just, I just loved this character. I just thought he was perfect. Yeah, no, he's one of those definitely just no guff, not taking any prisoners when he makes up his mind. <laughs> it's very, it, very admirable and it's interesting to find out he's got no real political sway or power and and he makes a point to say no friends either which is interesting yeah yeah and yet look what he manages to do uh, by the end of the episode that's just fantastic I, i love it he seems to get a few friends too in the making but i i don't know i must be really old but as soon as i heard the name winnie i i just thought of uh kevin arnold (laughs) (laughs) very good very good I, that didn't even hit me but that's that's awesome that's awesome <laughs> but what a name winifred that is a bizarre name and then that she read all the report a very interesting bizarre character and she stood toe-to-toe with senior staff <laughs> with senior staff <laughs> well after i get out of college i'll you come to me for a job that was awesome man that was fantastic i love seeing sam getting taken down like that a little bit because he's so funny and he's like is there anything about route 66 that i won't learn in the song no lose it <laughs> you know he's <laughs> like he's not even thinking about this and it's all because you know, we, and i didn't put this in the in the in the clip but it's all because he just wanted a piece of fruit Right. Now he's stuck in this whole situation because he just wanted a piece of fruit and he knew Josh had some in his office. Oh, it's just fantastic. It, it is very arrogant of him to think that he can throw out all these reports and they don't have any consequences. Right. Exactly. Which she totally puts them right in his place. Yeah. In yeah. the one part you did cut out with the, the waste. <laughs> yes. I, I had to, I had to try and figure out a way to trim it for time and I felt bad about that, but uh, that was great. It's just fantastic. That's, Here's this this girl who is using her education in the best way possible, and she is uh, absolutely, you know, reading every single report. She's going to know how to run the country better than Bartlett does by the time she gets done. Yeah, no kidding. I, I don't have that kind of determination to read that many countless reports. I probably would fall into Sam's line of thinking, but I would probably be sadly mistaken. <laughs> yeah. I, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I would too. I'd be like, cut it, cut it, cut it, cut it. So I don't have to read it. Cut it. So I don't have to read it. Cut it. So, yeah. I'm lazy that way. Um, <laughs> there is something about the fact that, uh, these guys are all writing emails to their parents that I found was, was really striking and, and forgive this kind of monologue here for a second. But, uh, I, I did want to point this out. There's kind of these reasoning behind the similarities in their emails um, that continue throughout the whole rest of the episode or, or not, depending on how you look at it. But all of them are writing to parents. And to me, this could indicate two things uh, about why they are doing it. Either they're usually too busy to write their parents, but the delay of the filibuster has them filling in time with something that they feel is worthwhile. Or perhaps they're so struck by the events that are happening that or have been happening that no matter how many times they talk to their parents, they feel like this is something that has to be shared. Um, and then the second side of that, uh, which you could go either way on is the kind of self depreciating situations that they all include in their email. Like, um, like CJ with the statue and Sam with the GAO intern, and even something that you can't really include in an audio podcast, but Josh slipping in his mother in the new shoes that his mom sent him. Um, 
<laughs> they, they're including those in their email simply because uh, they might be doing so because it, they feel very comfortable with their parents and they are completely at ease with relaying embarrassing moments either within their control or not. Or you could take the flip side of that and say that maybe they're trying to impress their parents either by showing them, you know, that despite all of the crazy, they can still get things done or that maybe just trying to impress their parents by showing them that they can tell a good story about whatever ridiculous things happen to them during the day. Um, so, you know, there's, there's similarities in all of the emails um, but for each character, they could be taken in different ways as to why they're similar. It's one of those things where I think they almost felt as held hostage as probably uh, the Senate floor felt <laughs> to the filibuster. So they had to make the best of their time. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's, it's, it is really interesting. They all chose to write their parents. And I think CJ thinks probably she's obviously missing out on a birthday. So that makes the most sense. Like, well, I have to explain why I'm not where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the only way I know how without having a long phone call. And it is weird to think back in 2001, email was nowhere near as common probably for most of us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and on top of that, you think about <laughs> that there's always, especially in, in these days when I think about uh, my folks or, or, or older generation and I, I try to think of, of, you know, say like a 70 year old on Twitter, you know, <laughs> so it's like they they're sending these emails out. Do their parents even know how to open them? Yeah, no. And uh, they're ho- probably the way we use email now is nowhere near what it was back then. And they're probably not even going to see these until the next day, if not end of the or next week. Yeah. So it, yeah, it is interesting when you kind of put that whole technology kind of like it is kind of weird that they're writing emails. Yeah. Yeah. What what else you got on this one? I think that pretty much covers it for me. I mean, it's hard to beat up Winnie any more than we already did. <laughs> I just like Winnie. getting spat on. <laughs> That's true. We don't want to. We don't want to. We don't want to offend Winnie. So let's move on to clip three. As Josh continues his email, he recounts Toby's description of the Hoynes press conference. The president and Leo have a dinner where Bartlett tells Leo about his deal with Abby. And Donna figures out the answer as to why the filibuster is happening in the first place. What are you doing? I'm writing an email to my mother. Why? To thank her for a pair of shoes she sent me. Your mother sent you shoes? Donna, please try and keep it. That is the sweetest thing. Donna. Okay. Sir, I'm sure you're aware that Philip Schluman testified before the FTC that the Bartlett administration's relentless pursuit of stricter emission standards in the form of additives is why we're seeing price spikes? Yeah. Would you comment on that? Yeah. Our relentless pursuit of cleaner air standards has resulted in lower asthma rates and the cleanest air in California in 50 years. It costs marginally more to refine fuel with additives, but the costs are being passed on to consumers at an outrageous price. Mr. Vice President. Uh, yeah, Chris. Are you accusing members of the PPA of price gouging? Some of these CEOs are old friends of mine, but uh, I can tell you they do know how to turn a profit. Now, they'll claim that prices will go back down after production increases. Points just kept hammering away. And I was reminded for a minute how close he came to being elected president. A new bottom line. Toby said it was an impressive display from Hoynes, but couldn't get past the question of why he volunteered to do it. He's reading the rules of cards. Oh, brother. Don't worry about it. Could Howard Stockhouse possibly be a bigger horse's patoot? I don't know what part of the horse that is exactly, but I've always thought he was a decent guy. He's a curmudgeon, a grouchy old crank. So are we. You are. I am full of mirth. Okay. He was all over me the first year. He called me Bartlett the Inert. That was pretty funny. I'm a reformer. I'm the most liberal president he's ever served under. His hero, Hubert Humphrey, wants you know. Shook your hand? That's right. I feel bad. Why? His wife died a few years ago. I didn't go to the funeral. Why? I was kind of busy running for president, Leo. That's right. Listen, I was looking at the B-roll they're showing on the Stackhouse story, and there's something that struck me as odd. What? They show two different events during his last campaign, and his grandchildren are next to him on stage. He's got seven of them. What's the problem? There are only six in the shot. I don't think this is what we think it is. I don't think he's just being ornery. 
I think he has a grandson who's autistic. Oh, holy hell. Tell Josh. I know for sure. Yeah. Sir. What's wrong? I made a deal with Abby. Because of my thing. One term. My thing, by the way, is the reason that Hoyne stepped up on oil. Because he thinks maybe he... It was three years ago. She can't expect... Yeah. Yeah. Let's see, Jay. Stackhouse has an autistic grandson. There's so much information there in the in the Leo talk with so little said between Leo and Bartlett, but it just it puts everything Hoynes has done in perspective. I got to give it up for John Spencer, his, the way he did the rea- Leo's reaction to Bartlett telling him about one term. Um, I just thought that that was magnificent. There's a lot in this episode that's very visual, as there is in every episode, thanks to the great acting. Um, the dialogue is fantastic, which is what lends itself to a great audio podcast. But um, even just the way Bart, the, the expression on Bartlett's face when he sighs, when he finds out about the autism, that all of that stuff is is so uh, still execution dependent, despite whatever greatness is is written on the page. Um, you just can never give it up enough for the way that, first of all, Sorkin can tell you so much with so little dialogue and at the same time, let the actors take over from the emotional side of it. Yeah. They always knock it out of the park. I mean, this cast is like a murderer's row of actors. Yeah. And you, you won't find many other television shows today or otherwise that are at this caliber. I mean, it's, it's stunning. But this, the weirdest saddest point is what I picked out of that. And I could not stop and I had to look up the definition, but do you know what the word mirth means? Because I did not. Uh, go ahead. Let us know. Let the listeners the, know. The, 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 well, the definition says it's gaiety or, or jollity, especially when accompanied by laughter. And I, <laughs> let's keep in mind that this term was created before the year 900. <laughs> <laughs> Who uses this word? <laughs> Obviously, Bart. Well, Barton speaks in Latin half the time. So, yeah, you know. <laughs> I want to be in that writer's room. Who's writing this stuff? It's insane. Oh, it's fantastic. Well, even just the, I mean, growing up in the country and, and uh, having older parents, you know, I'd heard horses patoot before, but I wonder how many people even heard of that in in the country at that time. I've heard it. What does it mean, Matt? <laughs> well, I, I, it's not worth a horse's patoot. I don't know what part of the horse. I'm like Leo. I don't know what part of the horse that is. I don't want to know what part of the horse that is. <laughs> I'm full of mirth. But, uh, yeah, yeah, but no, it's just so strange. And a side note is if you do use it in Scrabble, it is worth 10 points. <laughs> wow. 10-point word. And that's what, five letters? Uh, yes, M-I-R-T-H. Yeah. Right. It's just, yeah, that was so weird. But no, this show, I mean, it's it's great. I mean, but the way they all think of the Senator Stackhouse is just interesting. It's, but he won't be moved on this. And then, then when they find out that this grandson has autism, I mean, it, it totally brings it all to a very humanistic and very kind of like everyone gets it now kind of level and it's i mean where the episode goes from here is just perfect yeah all of a sudden the politics just gets abandoned and it's about a fellow human being and that's that's something that you hope any politician that you ever elect could ever do but it does seem like something that's much more part of a fantasy television show Um, oh yeah yeah but it is it is super fantastic the way everybody just kind of starts to rally around as we'll see i do have a question for you john in regards to josh and donna um now i have been berated in feedback before for calling for calling people who like uh, would like to see josh and donna get together 
as being Josh and Donna shippers. So I won't say that again. Uh, so would they be called Dash or Jana? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> now we're getting all tumblery here. Um, so you younger listeners know exactly what we're talking about, and the 50-year-olds are screaming at me uh, once again. At any rate, um, did you ever fancy – I mean, it seems like, especially throughout season two, that they're kind of throwing these little snippets about Josh kind of – you know, uh, liking to foil Donna's date plans and, and, and Donna, uh, pushing Josh towards Joey, uh, because she thinks that her liking Josh is getting a little bit too much exposure there. So she's trying to push it off to, to kind of play it off. Have you ever been one of those guys that, that kind of wanted to see Josh and Donna get together? I would not be a person known as a shipper, but this would be one of the few instances probably where I would fall into that category. I, those, it's, I don't know. It's like watching two people who you can tell just love each other so much that they, but they know it's not right for each other at that moment, but you know, it's going to get there. Yeah. Yeah. At least that's how I always felt. That's the way I feel about it too. It's like, it's got to happen at some point. Uh, You know, it's just got to happen at some point. And you always worry that you have the friends thing where it happens too soon or it happens too late or which television shows have been doing that formula for years. But uh, it, it, there is somewhat of an ev- inevitability about it, isn't there? Oh yeah, no, and I think, and I think part of the reason why people are like that is because we've all been there. Absolutely. Um, what else do you have on this clip? I don't know. I think I got too hung up on the word mirth. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, it is it is very uh, high on the difficulty, and not many people uh, know that word. So. I urge you to use that a few times a day and widen your vocabulary. Right. Yeah. I actually confused that word with the, the whole frankincense and myrrh thing for a little while. Uh, but now I, I have a clearer picture. Thank you, John, for that. Oh, you're welcome. So, and now we need the the more you know jingle to pop in there. If you could do that <laughs> in post, that'd be great. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, why don't we move on to clip four then, which leads us... Uh, to the president, Leo, Donna, and CJ coming up with a plan to help Stackhouse and Toby confronting the vice president about his press conference. Charlie? He's just coming over. Thanks. Can we wait? Yeah. Look, CJ, one of us is going to have to tell the president that the statue's broken. It's not broken. It is broken. She crazy glued it back together. You crazy glued it? I didn't know what it was. I needed a potpourri holder. I have the ancient curse of Bast on me, so get off my back, Sparky. Okay. When you tell him, I leave out the crazy glue. And potpourri, right? Yeah. Here we go. How does he not just tell me, sir? How does he not come to me and say, Jed, this is my grandson, and there are lots more like him, and there are lots more to come. Can you help us out? Because... Damn it, he knows we would have gotten it done. Why doesn't he tell me these things? Because he doesn't want to make political hay out of his grandson, which is commendable. Ah, he's a crank. Good evening, Mr. President. Hey. Hey, Donna, you need something? Donna's the one who started sniffing around it. CJ, that phone message was for real. He's not going to stop till he drops. He might. CJ, let me tell you something. Don't ever, ever underestimate the will of a grandfather. We're madmen. We don't give a damn. We got here before you, and they'll be here after. We'll make enemies. We'll break laws. We'll break bones. But you will not mess with the grandchildren. There was quite a bit of sugar in the creme de caramel. Yeah. CJ, if I told you to screw the print deadline, what would you want to do right now? I'd want to see if there was a way I could help him out. Give him some dignity, right? And give him a rest. The guy's going to collapse out there. Yes, sir. Screw the print deadline. Leo? Look, uh, we will talk about the other thing later. I'm just asking how we're going to do this. Excuse me? The chairman's going to gavel him off if he stops talking or sits. Excuse me? What are you doing? I didn't know if I'm supposed to... We usually don't raise our hands. No, it's not the worst idea in the world. Uh, the, The senator's allowed to yield for a question without yielding the floor. What do you mean? He's allowed to yield for a question without yielding the floor. I was in the House. I know nothing about Senate rules. Yes, sir, but Josh does, and he likes to explain things, and, well, I let him. I'm pretty sure it's true, sir. What time is it? Let's wake up a parliamentarian. Yeah, but the problem is the only people who ask questions are senators. We're going to get one of them to walk in there. Charlie! The Senate wants to go home. They want to vote. Yes, sir. I want to call senators. We'll start with our friends. When we're done with those two, we'll go on to the other 98. Yes, sir. Charlie! Yes, ma'am. Start with the grandfathers? Yes, ma'am. There's no damn holiday for us either. We'll be in the dining room. CJ, no kidding. Make this happen. Yes, sir. And I broke your statue. 
I don't think he heard you. No. Mr. Vice President. Didn't I do it right? No, sir, you did. Did very well. I appreciate it. Yeah. I'm sure you know I was curious about why you'd volunteer for something like that. Yeah. So I got a hold of some private polling you've had done. Oh. Yeah? A significant number of people are concerned over your close ties to big oil. Well, not anymore. Yeah. But what I was wondering was, uh, why did you put the poll in the field at all? Mr. Vice President, what do you know that I don't? You told me the total tonnage of what I know that you don't could stun a team of oxen in its tracks. Good night. You first or me? Well, all I got to say is you better watch out for those oxen. <laughs> and don't mess with the grandchildren. I love that line. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, and one thing that I totally love about this is that that's the one thing, you know, as much as, as Bartlett seems to really dislike Stackhouse or thinks he's a crank or whatever, it's the one thing he can totally relate to because you go back to the pilot episode and what caused him to, to run his bike into a tree? It was the fact that his granddaughter was being threatened. Man, you got better memory than me. Uh, well, he, he totally called Al Caldwell and all of them out about that group that had sent that doll to his granddaughter all bloodied up or whatever because she thought that a girl a woman should have a right to choose or something and that's what he said made him run into the tree um and how he ended up hurting himself uh, which gave us that whole great first episode and i love that that they they that they keep the character so consistent that if there's any one thing that would drive Bartlett. I mean, naturally he's a fantastic human being. And once he finds out about the autism, he would have done something anyway, but his whole tirade about being a grandfather, uh, you can tie directly back to that because he just totally threw Al Caldwell and them guys out of the white house. And, and here's the same thing. It's like, get it done, CJ, get it done. And <laughs> poor CJ, she still didn't get to tell him about the statue yet. <laughs> no, but don't forget, start with our friends, and after you're done with those two, call the other 98. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, there's so many really uh, – there's a lot of like kind of like one-liners just tossed in the middle of these kind of almost long, drawn-out diatribes and of idealism, and it's just crazy. But it's just – it's great. It adds a lot of levity to some really serious issues. And I mean, it, and if you think about it, I know we hear about autism a lot these days. Right. I, back then, I'd never heard of it. Right. Yeah. It was an issue that wasn't really being uh, addressed a whole lot, except by people, I guess, in the know about it. Um, it did not have nearly the, the public awareness that it has now. That's one thing that I've noticed in these rewatches is how issues that he's brought up, even back then, are are still things that are prevalent in our mind today or kind of uh, almost foreshadowing issues that we would address today. And it's fantastic that he had such an awareness of real economic, social and political ideologies that would end up coming into conflict at points. Yeah. It's like watching fruit come to bear of a tree you planted. was it been like 15 years now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, exactly. And, and, on top of all of that, and, and I know you're not a Toby lover, but uh, I, I got to say, you know, he's on it. He really still doesn't know why, but I think he he definitely, by asking these questions, he's kind of getting onto the trail of, of the whole Hoynes thing, and um, there there's a shot near the end of the episode that you see, but you, I mean, there's no audio to it, but you see... Uh, Toby just sitting in his chair bouncing that ball that we've seen him bounce before when he's trying to work through a problem, you know? And so you know that even by the end of this episode, he's still just trying to figure out what Hoynes is doing. That That's the kind of political uh, guy that we know that knew why Mandy Hampton was going to work for the senator in the very first episode or the second episode, I can't remember which, that knew uh, why green beans were detrimental uh, or the <laughs> president not liking green beans was detrimental. That's that's the thinking, Toby. That's the guy that I love. Yeah, it's it's interesting to watch the kind of the, the gears move in a character that obviously isn't real, but like right. these actors bring to life for you like that. It's pretty... 
and it's like in that instance, you you almost feel bad for Toby because it's like you want because we're informed and he's not. And it's like you just want to tell him it's like this is what's going on, man. Yeah, exactly. And Donna's on it, too. I mean, I there was a, a few podcasts back that I recorded. Uh, I can't remember how many ago, but I, I said that Donna, you know, she may act like a flake sometimes when she's talking issues with Josh or whatever, but she never really stops retaining things. And just like she said here with, to the president, you know, sometimes Josh likes to tell me things and I let him, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was such a good line and it explains a lot and it, and it shows one of those, it's like Josh's neuroses and her patience to tolerate it. And I think that's part of the reason why people are like, they're they're destined to be together. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, people, I think, think sometimes don't give Donna the credit that she deserves, uh, because she will do things like raise her hand in the oval office because she doesn't know how procedure works. But at the same time, remember she was the one that actually tipped everybody off about the PTSD for Josh in the Noel episode. We find out at the end of the episode that she was the one that, that pointed it out, um, to everybody. Um, but at the same time, you ha- you have this great duality in her where she will still just do things like raise her hand in the Oval Office. Uh, but once she learns, man, then it's it's all golden. Yeah, no, she's a great kind of um, what's the right word? I don't know. She's a like she's like a stand in for the audience because I'm sure we would all be in her position of kind of like um, I want to say something, but I'm probably not allowed to. Right. What should I do? <laughs> right, right, right. Um, anything else on this clip? I don't think so. I think I'm good. I don't um, know about you. Uh, I think that's it for me. And that brings us to another one of those kind of fairy tale kind of Sorkin endings. Um, yes. But this is one that I just could not be more pleased with. It's just fabulous. And in clip five, our final clip, like the concert of a theater chorus, CJ, Sam, and Josh relay what happens in regards to the Family Wellness Act. And then came the big moment, Dad. Everyone was enlisted. You called whoever you had a relationship with, and if you didn't get anywhere, they got a call from the president. Do I have your word on that, Sarah? We've been at it 20 minutes. Coming we're coming up, up with nothing. nothing until... Got it! Senator Tom Grissom of Washington State was headed from his office to the chamber, and everybody started flooding into the communications bullpen to see what would happen. Problem being, of course, that Stackhouse would have to know as much about rules and procedures as Donna had and not think we were trying to screw him. We stared at 14 different television sets while calculating in our heads the time it would take Grissom to walk from his office to the floor, and we were in frozen silence while we listened to the rules of Blackjack. Unless you were counting cards. And then it happened. Point of order, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Grissom, will the senator yield for a question? Come on. Mr. Stackhouse? Come on. Trust me just this once, you grouchy old son of a bitch. Mr. Chairman, I yield to the senator from Washington for a question. My question is in 22 parts and might take quite a while. Perhaps you'd like to sit and have some water while I ask it. Yes! And that was it. Grissom gave him a rest and an opportunity to answer some real questions about autism. And when Grissom was done, McNamara took over. And after McNamara came Gianelli. Grandfather's all. I'm going to have to finish this up now and go into the press room and explain what happened. There'll be no vote tonight and... Senate will go home for weeks and Stackhouse, with our help, blew the print deadline anyway. There's really no reason for Josh not to go back to the conference chairman and reopen the bill. There's so many days here where you can't imagine that anything good will ever happen. You're buried under a black fog of partisanship and self-promotion and stupidity and a brand of politics that's just plain mean. Yes, Hoynes had us nervous with his admonishment of big oil, and yes, the president was making us nervous too, but that's for tomorrow. Because tonight I've seen a man with no legs stay standing, Dad, and a guy with no voice keep shouting. And if politics brings out the worst in people, then maybe people bring out the best. Because I'm looking at the TV right now, and damn, if 28 U.S. senators haven't just walked onto the floor to help. I'll catch the first plane out in the morning, and if you wouldn't mind not turning 70 until tomorrow, that'd be great. In the meantime, I love you so much. Your daughter, Claudia grandfather's all man that's the line that gets me every time you know they all marched in grandfather's all it it just i 
just love the ending of this episode. And as fairy tale and unrealistic as it is that Sam and Josh and CJ would all be writing the exact same thing to their parents in emails, uh, it was just the absolute perfect way to make all three of those facets come together and, and drive the, the point home. It was, it was like a chorus in an old Greek play. And, and remember that Sorkin was a playwright. Uh, you know, A Few Good Men was one of the best plays, in my opinion, ever written in the modern day. And uh, for him to use that kind of theatrical execution for this episode was just absolutely fantastic. Um, this episode is definitely one of my, well, many favorites of this series, but I, I just can't get over how well this ended. The, the only nitpick that I would have, and it's an extreme nitpick for me, John, um, I wasn't really impressed by Snuffy's ending score. I would have liked to have heard something a little more Americana, um, and, and a little less, uh, the, the who, uh, Baba O'Reilly thing, you know, I, you, I think the last time, um, in the last season, when you and I talked, uh, the whole, uh, the whole synth thing drives me a little crazy sometimes, but, uh, that was my only nitpick about that whole last scene. Otherwise it was just truly perfect. It was a great emotional climax. Her name's Claudia, Claudia Jean. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, yeah, no, it's, it, it's one of those things it's like it's it's like a nice present underneath the christmas tree just like the bill it's just wrapped with a nice bow at the end i mean it's yeah you just don't get much saccharine than that but it's wonderful and we all love it Absolutely. or at least we do yeah <laughs> no i love this episode it's fantastic it's it's one of those i it, it really to me it feels a lot like a wonderful life that's what it reminds me of Oh, very good comparison. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just, it all ties together. Everything kind of like comes neatly put together at the end and everything's okay. Now it, it would be like some senators would be threatening people's lives in the back room, in the bathrooms and <laughs> you'd, get the, you'd get the house of cards and that would be a great television show. But back Back when this was on, it was it was still acceptable to be just kind of, I don't know, a decent person. And that was made people happy. Yeah, it, very fairy tale. But uh, I like fairy tale. So that's perf- perfectly fine by me. Yeah, this should have Jimmy Stewart show up. I think he was long gone since then. <laughs> I can't remember, but it would have been it would, <laughs> the, the whole thought of a filibuster. I think the, the last one we saw was Ted Cruz, if I remember correctly, unless something happened recently <laughs> and he shut down the government. He didn't do anything nice. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, sorry. Let's get back to happiness. Yeah, no, this, this is a great episode. I I I, I like this one a lot, and I, I think your sentiments are in line with mine on this. It's just, it's a feel good episode. Everybody was angry at first, and they all came around, even for a good old crank. Absolutely. Even for that cranky old son of a bitch, as, uh, <laughs> as Bartlett called him. He's, he, the, the grandfather solidarity, no matter how you feel about somebody, all of the grandfathers, grandfathers all came through. I just love that. That's a magical line for me. Why don't we rate this episode? Well, Matt, I'm I'm going to jump in here and go first because you're going to have a lot more wonderful words than I have to say because I'm just going to give it probably a 9.6. This is a really good episode. I like this one a lot. Wow. Well, I am not far off of you, brother. I'm actually a decimal point behind you, and I'm trying to figure out why that is uh, maybe it was snuffy made the difference i think so uh but <laughs> this, this episode is just perfect to me in so many ways and and it demonstrates as well as develops character it answers some of the lingering questions in regards to the overall season arc with the ms and now you have the clearer picture of hoynes and then you have just the execution of this episode um, with the mixed narrations, and it's it's funny, it's thoughtful, it's full of feels. I always get the feels on episodes like this. Um, and while I know that it, probably a new viewer who had never seen a single episode of, of West Wing might be a little confused about a couple of the plot points, there's no way that I would not... Uh, recommend this episode to somebody to get them into the series if I, if I had to choose um, because it just demonstrates exactly what Sorkin did so many times so well 
with this show. And so I came to a 9.5 with my rating on our special 10-point scale that we use at sorkincast.wordpress.com. Now everyone go home and give their uh, grandparents a hug. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, folks, we're going to leave you here in a minute. Uh, next time, it is Season 2, Episode 18, 17 people. It's kind of weird to have 17 and 18 in the same phrase there, but that's the way it works out. And the way it also works out is that John will be joining me for another episode. And if you have any thoughts uh, up until July 12th regarding any of these Season 2 episodes, feel free to send an email to sorkincast at gmail.com, or you can call 314-669-1840 and leave a voicemail, or you can tweet at Sorkincast, and we'll include you in the feedback podcast that will follow that deadline. Also, don't forget the West Wing Awards favorite and least favorite episode scene main character and guest star um, your favorites and least favorites of each of those and john even though you'll be with us next week why don't you tell us how people can contact you in regards to talking about any sorkin shows me and you are really excited about the fact that we're going to be doing newsroom after season two of the west wing so uh, you'll probably be on board for a couple of those so any sorkin show is pretty much game for you how can people talk to you about them oh you find me on twitter at the letter J underscore last name is McGonagall. So if you can spell that, great. If you can't, that's fine too. Just follow Matt. He'll guide you in the right direction. And Matt, I'll have you know, years and years ago when we planned on doing the newsroom podcast, when it was on the air, <laughs> I have notes for the very first episode still. I just had to dig them up. <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> well, uh, in the meantime, you've still got notes to do on 17 People, Season 2, Episode 18, and we'll see you next time on the Sorkincast. Find all of the back episodes, links, and more information at sorkincast.wordpress.com. Leave the podcast a written review at our iTunes or Stitcher store pages. To submit feedback, send emails to sorkincast at gmail.com or call 314-669-1840. The Sorkincast is a member of the Rewatching Good TV Network.